Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Every Wednesday here on the Daily Devotion is Westminster Wednesday, so we're breaking from our normal pattern of looking at 1 Peter and we're going to look at one of the one section of the Westminster Confession. We've been just working our way through the Westminster Confession, kind of paragraph by paragraph. And the reason that we're working our way through the Westminster Confession is because that's the, the confession of faith of the Presbyterian Church in America, of our denomination, and therefore of our local church here. We don't hold that the Westminster Confession is inerrant. We reserve that only for Scripture. Uh, in fact, the Westminster Confession, if it is found to be out of accord with Scripture, can be amended, unlike Scripture, which cannot be amended. Nothing can be added to or taken away from it. And we see these ideas, the, the difference between a confession of faith and Scripture, even in the paragraph that we're going to look at this morning. Westminster Confession of Faith 1.8. Let me pray for our time, and then we'll jump in to this section of our confession. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved your word, kept it pure in all ages, that in your sovereign care, in your providence, we have such an abundance of manuscripts that we can know what your word says. We ask, Father, that you would give us wisdom to search your word, that we might see you and your Son more clearly with the help of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, paragraph 8 says this, The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical, so as in all controversies of religion the church is finally to appeal unto them. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God, dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner, and, through patience and comfort in the scriptures, may have hope. Well, so here we have this statement about the realities of the Old and New Testaments what exactly they are, and, and it gets into the ideas of inspiration and what exactly is inspired. And there's a few things that we notice about this. First of all, we notice that uh, inspiration applies to the texts, not the men who wrote them. In fact, inspiration applies not even to the, the translations that we have, but to the original manuscripts in Hebrew and Greek. This is an important idea to wrap our head around and to, to understand because if, if we try to apply inspiration to our English translations, well, then we're immediately faced with a question of which one is correct. It doesn't take long if you pick up, say, an ESV, an NIV, and a King James. It doesn't take long to see that, well, there are differences. And not just differences in kind of the, the style of writing or the age of the language that is used. There are interpretive differences. Every translation is, at some level, even those that claim to be word-for-word -word literal translations, every translation is, at some level, an interpretation. 
Here, here's why this matters. Here's why this matters for, for people in the pew. We, it reminds us that we need ministers who are versed in the languages in which Scripture was written. The confession goes on to say that, that final authority in matters of religion, final authority in deciding controversies, is settled not by going to our confession, not by even going to, to English Bibles, but going back to these inspired texts in Greek and in Hebrew. That they're what are authentical and they are the basis to which the church is to finally appeal in all controversies of religion. Final authority rests there. That is what is the word of God. That is what we say is inspired or was breathed out by God through these men that were being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some comfort here. We don't have to settle matters of religion based on differences in translations. That's very comforting because we would end up on certain issues in, in perhaps very different places. Are we to take the New Living, the NIV, the ESV, the King James, the RSV? What, what, who, where does the authority lie? There are, of course, those who say, oh, King James only. And Well, th frankly, that's a silly argument. We need ministers who are versed in the Word of God that they might drive us correctly through the Word of God to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the job of the minister, is to be able to dive into the Word of God that we might feed the people of God. And here's what's amazing about this. The, the confession says that in God's providence, by His care, by His providence, the, these manuscripts, these texts, what, what we know the, the Old Testament, the New Testament to be, have been kept pure in all ages. Now, we got to be careful here. That doesn't mean that there's this kind of golden text that has been passed down from generation to generation. I don't know, something that we might call, oh, a textus receptus, if we want to be technical and give it some name, a received text on which some particular version of the Bible can be based and therefore be inerrant. No, 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 that's not what this is saying. It's saying rather that, that God has preserved this text, his word for us, in a way that when we look at it historically, no other ancient text has been preserved. It's really phenomenal when you look at the manuscript evidence for the Old Testament and the manuscript evidence for the New Testament. The differences in the number of texts, the number of manuscripts we have allowing us to compare and, and kind of uh, look, at, look at different texts and, and, and put them together and see kind of, okay, what, what exactly was said originally. It's amazing the mountain of manuscripts that we have for Scripture compared to any other ancient text. It really is phenomenal. I'm not going to bother giving you all the numbers for it right now. If you're interested, let me know and I'll be happy to share that with you. But there's a mountain of texts. One guy that works on this issue, if you're interested in looking some of these things up, is a guy named Michael Kruger. He's a professor at RTS in Charlotte, and his specialty is New Testament. And, and he has uh, a blog, if you Google Michael Kruger, Dr. Michael Kruger, uh, I believe his blog is called Cannon Fodder. You can find all kinds of glorious information about why we are so certain of what 
the text should be. The reason this is an important discussion is because there are people, even very popular writers, like a, a guy out of University of North Carolina named Bart Ehrman, who pretend that they're, they're, the, the Bible is just kind of wildly flawed and that there are just thousands and thousands of discrepancies and text-critical issues. And in one sense, he's right. There are a lot of text-critical questions and places where we compare manuscripts. We've got to figure out what's going on. But he, he drastically overstates the case because well over 90% of those issues have to do with minor spelling issues or, or, or things that, that have no change, no impact, no effect on the meaning of the text. So when you hear people say stuff like that, you can, you can take comfort knowing that the case is being drastically overstated that we have more manuscript evidence, that we have greater certainty of the text of the Bible as it originally came to us than any other ancient text in history. But here's what's beautiful about the confession at this point. Even though it upholds the, the, the original languages as important, as valuable, as necessary, and as it reminds us that that's what was inspired by God and, and therefore... That's where inerrancy lies and, and authority lies and all of these things. Still, it recognizes that also in God's providence, not everybody knows Greek and Hebrew, but everybody has a right to the word of God. Every, every believer has a right to his word. And so the confession directs us to translate the Bibles into English, to translate these words into English, that the people of God might be fed. And here's what's amazing about the mystery of how the Word of God works. Even though we would say that inspiration applies to these original texts, that final authority is found and rests with the original text, still, the Word of God translated into common languages, the confession reminds us, is still effective. Because it's God who is at work. It is his spirit who is at work. And so we can come to the word of God in our daily devotion, written in English, and in whatever you know, responsible translation we find. We can hear the, the scriptures read in our native language. We can send out people like Bree and the Choats to, to translate the Bible. And, and we can have confidence that as the Bible is translated into the common languages of people, it is still effective. That's why that work is so important. If that wasn't the case then what those missionaries who are translating the Bible should be doing is teaching everybody Greek and Hebrew. But in God's care for his people, knowing that he was putting together a people from every tribe, every tongue, that is language, every nation, his word is effective in every language into which it is translated. That's the care that our God has for us. That he hasn't left his word shrouded in some ancient language so that it's only effective there. His word is effective, even translated, even proclaimed in the common language. That's what it means by vulgar language. Even translated and proclaimed in the common language of the people to which it comes. His word is effective. Because it is God who is at work. 
his spirit who is at work through the reading and proclamation of the word of God in our lives. So this paragraph of the confession teaches us to trust the word of God and to trust God to work through his word. Might we learn to do that together. Amen.